When Messiah would come, we needed to know how to recognize Him. All people of all ages needed to know Messiah was coming from this group of people who are different. law is a description of God's character. And so that's where we start. We start by understanding that the moral law of God, that law that governs life, that's summarized for us in these Ten Commandments, that law is a description of who God is. And by connection, because we're made in His image, it's a description of how our lives should be. And so when God tells us, you shall honor life, He tells us that because He Himself is a God who honors life Himself. When He tells us, be faithful to those with whom you are in covenant relationship, He tells us that because He Himself is the God who is faithful to those with whom He's in covenant relationship. Okay, So this moral law summarized in the Ten Commandments is a description of God's character. Now, the Bible goes on to give us a further summary of this. The the Ten Commandments are... Uh, we understand those to be just summarizing all aspects of life, but the Bible goes on to summarize it even further. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, the Ten Commandments are given, and in the very next chapter, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 6, we find something called the Shema, and you're probably familiar with the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall, and here it is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Jesus then takes that when He's asked, Teacher, What's the greatest law? What's the greatest commandment? He answers to say, Hear, O Israel, you know this, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and He adds mind, with all your mind and with all your strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He says when you keep that and you do it perfectly, you keep the entire law. All of the moral law of God you keep by perfectly genuinely from your heart, loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving your neighbor in the same way that you love yourself. You keep the law by doing that. So that's the moral law of God. Never passes away. Jesus came and kept this moral law on our behalf. But then we find in the Scriptures a second category of law, and I would would call that the civil law or the civic law. Now, what the civic law or the civil law would mean, if we were to think of the moral law as the principle, say, for example, the principle of you shall not murder. When that principle is applied in a specific situation, then that becomes the civil law. So the Old Testament is full of what we think of as these civil laws. And all they are is God simply saying, I'm going to take the principles of my moral law and I'm going to tell you how to apply it to your life living there in ancient Israel. Here's how you apply this principle. Here's how you apply this moral law. Here's how you apply that one. Here's what it looks like when you keep this moral law. And that is the civil law. So that's the application of God's moral law. The civil law was binding upon a certain people who lived in a certain time period in a certain society. 
and it applied to a specific society in a specific time period. And so that is the, the application of God's, uh, of God's moral law. And so this moral law applied to the people of Israel was what's called a civic law. And as you read through your Old Testament, you'll find large, large sections of this civil law that's governing life in ancient Israel. Large section of, sections of Exodus, from Exodus chapter 20, 21, on through about chapter 35 or so. Most of the book of Deuteronomy and large sections of the book of Leviticus, you find this law that says God has given us the principle and He's applied it to us in this way. For example, we talked Wednesday about uh, one of the laws that God gives, of, of uh, Moses gives in Deuteronomy chapter 22. He says, when you build a house and you build this house in such a way as people did in that time, you build the house in such a way that the roof is another room. You have stairs and you can use the roof as another room. He says, what you're to do is you're to build a parapet wall around the roof. So when you build a house... Moses says it's a law, it's a rule. You have to build a a fence, a, a, a parapet wall around the roof. Now, what is that saying? That's an application of the sixth commandment. The sixth commandment says, you shall not murder, or to state it positively, you shall honor and protect life. And so the way that you honor and protect life when you build a house is you build a fence, a wall around the roof so that people don't fall off by accident. Now, that's what it looks like to take the moral law of God and apply it to a civil law. We do the same thing today. In fact, we have similar laws. We don't typically have houses today that have flat roofs. That We can, but we don't typically have houses that have flat roofs. But we do have porches and we do have balconies. And it is a code that if that porch or balcony is a certain distance off the ground, guess what you have to have? You have to have a handrail because people will fall off and, and hurt them, get hurt. And so that is the same thing. That's the application of the moral law that says, you being created in my image shall value and protect life. You shall honor life in this situation by building a railing. And so we are sixth commandment keepers when we do that. I once knew a Christian couple who built a pool in their backyard. And they, one of their neighbors uh, had a little small young girl at the time. And so this, Chris, this Christian couple built a pool in their backyard. And they got the pool done. It was a really nice pool, but they didn't have a fence around it. You know, it's a law in North Carolina. If you have a pool, you have to have what? A fence around it. Well, they didn't have a fence around it. They said, well, we don't have the money for the kind of fence we want yet, so we'll just kind of wait a while. And I said to them, that's a violation of the Sixth Commandment. Because whether or not the county official comes by and says, hey, where's your fence around the pool? Whether or not he says that or not, it's a violation of the law of God that says honor and protect life when you knowingly have a pool and a neighbor that has a little six-year-old girl. So that's what it looks like to apply the moral law of God. This is why all laws are fundamentally based in the moral law of God. You've ever heard it said, you can't legislate morality? Who's ever heard that said? That's a bunch of hogwash. Because every law, every law is an attempt to do just that, to legislate morality. The speed limit law is an attempt to legislate morality. The speed limits law says, in order to honor and respect life, both the other people on the road and yours, then here is the law that we feel will keep you reasonably safe. 
that is an extension of thou shalt not murder, but instead thou shalt respect and honor and protect life. And to one degree or another, sometimes some laws can be hard to find a connection. Some can be easy, but to one degree or another, every law of mankind is some sort of an attempt to legislate the morality of the moral law of God that God has given us. That's why it is right for the Ten Commandments to be posted in a courtroom. Not that we're, that I'm here to, to carry that banner or fight that battle, but nevertheless, to, that is to say, that all of our laws are ultimately derived from the moral law of God, which says it is right to refrain from stealing. And the way that that law looks in society may be different in different societies, but it's the same moral law. So if we took a look in your notes, we would notice that, for example, uh, I've got some examples in your notes. You're probably familiar with the first four commandments being commandments that regulate our relationship to God, you shall have no other gods before me, uh, not take the Lord's name in vain, you shall not uh, have graven images and honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. And then the, the commandments 5 through 10 regulate our interpersonal relationships. So just some examples. I just pulled one example for each commandment. There's literally dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens. We wouldn't have had enough paper to print them all. But just one example to just show us how this, this looks, how this plays out in the Scriptures. For example, the fifth commandment, which is honor your father and mother. The fifth commandment, now I'm sort of backwards here because uh, my, editor, my editor really failed uh, this week. So my editor failed to, con- to catch the fact that Exodus 21 verses 12 and 13 actually applies to the next one. So look over on the next page under the sixth commandment and look at Exodus 21 verse 15, which really belongs on the first page. You guys really need to hire me a new editor. So the sixth command, or the, the fifth commandment says, Honor your father and mother. Look over at Exodus 21, verse 15. Whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. You see, that, that is an application of the moral law that says, Honor your father and your mother. Now, are we bound by the law that says, Whoever dishonors their father or mother or strikes their father and mother shall be put to death? Are we bound by that law? I ask you, are we bound by that law? Yes and no. We're not bound by it in the sense that if a child were to dishonor or strike their mother or father, they have to be put to death. Because that was an application of the moral law for that society in that time. However, we are bound by the principle behind it, which says eternally and forever, honor your father and your mother. You see how that works? Now, let's take another look at uh, the sixth commandment, Exodus 20, verse 13. You shall not murder. Now, the example of this one is back on the first page. Exodus 21, verses 12 and 13. Whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. But if he did not lie in wait for him, but God let him fall into his hand, then I will appoint for you a place at which they may flee. Okay, so God is making a distinction there between the circumstances that surrounded the wrongful death. Just like we have in our laws today, Laws that regulate the circumstances of a wrongful death and determine different degrees of guilt. First degree murder, second degree murder, manslaughter, etc. The scriptures have the same thing. And so this is what God is doing. The command is, thou shalt not murder. The civil law that applied that was, well, in this situation, 
If this happens, here's what happens. If, if this happens, here's the other thing that happens. Or the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. Exodus 22 and verse 16 and 17, if a man seduces a virgin who is not betrothed and lies with her, he shall give the, birth, the bride price for her, make her his wife. If her father utterly refuses to give her to him, he shall pay money equal to the bride price for virgins. You see how that's an application of you shall not commit adultery. The eighth commandment, you shall not steal. If a man gives to his neighbor money or goods or to keep safe and is stolen from the man's house, then if the thief is found, he shall pay double. That's an application of you shall not steal. Ninth commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So the application or one of the applications is you shall not pervert the justice due to your poor in his lawsuit. Keep far from a false charge. Do not kill the innocent and righteous for I will not acquit the wicked. And you shall take no bribe for a bribe blinds the clear sighted and subverts the cause of those who are in the right. So the command is you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. One of the many applications is you shall not take a bribe because taking a bribe perverts justice or is another way of saying bearing false witness against your neighbor. You see how that works out. Now, far, far more of the regulations, the rules, the laws found in the Old Testament are an application of the moral law than are the moral law itself. So as you read through your Old Testament, you're meditating on Deuteronomy chapter 12 and you just find rule after rule after rule after rule or Exodus chapter 36, and you just find sort of the same thing. And you're wondering, how does this apply to my life? How do I understand? Am I supposed to keep these rules and these laws just like this? No, not necessarily. Instead, as you read and meditate, as as those scriptures come up in your Bible reading time, you are to recognize these are ways in which the moral principle is lived out in the ancient culture of Israel. Our culture today is different in different ways, yet we are still bound by the same moral principles. And so we try our best not to put on our superior modern day air, our uh, false notion that really just drives me crazy that, that we want to, uh, we want to take modern day societal standards and apply them to other societies, particularly societies from the past. It drives me nuts when we take modern day social mores, and we want to apply them to ancient cultures in the same way. Just stop doing that. Instead, just recognize this was a different culture in a different day, bound by the same moral principle to which we are bound. Nevertheless, the application in that day might have looked different, but our job as we study our scriptures is to see the principle behind it, to see the moral law behind it that's binding upon all people for all time. You follow what I'm saying? Okay, so now in those two laws, the moral law, Jesus perfectly kept the moral law for us. The civil law, Jesus also perfectly kept the civil law. But the civil law doesn't apply to us in the same way because it was the application of God's moral law in an ancient society. We can learn from that. We can see how the law was applied in Israel and we can make correlations and we can understand things about the law but not necessarily on a one-to-one ratio. You follow what I'm saying? Okay. So now let's really cut to really the core of the issue because the core of the issue is the third category of laws in God's Word. And the third category of law in God's Word is totally different from the first two 
Because the third category, I'll call it the ceremonial law or the ritual law. So if the moral law is the moral principle, you shall not steal. And the civil law is don't take from your neighbor. And if you do, here's what needs to happen. The ceremonial law is in a class all by itself. The ritual ceremonial law is not the applied moral law, neither is it the moral law itself. Instead, it's something altogether different. For example, let's just pull an example of one of the ceremonial laws. We'll talk about these more as we, as we go on just a little bit. But for example, Leviticus 12 speaks of one of the ceremonial laws that has to do with sacrifices. And in Leviticus 12, it talks about the woman who becomes pregnant and gives birth and how after giving pregnant, that woman is ritually or ceremonially unclean for seven days. If the, boy, if, the, if the baby is a boy, on the eighth day it's circumcised. And then the woman remains ceremonially unclean for another 33 days. If it's a girl, she remains ceremonially unclean for another 66 days. So that the woman, after giving birth, is ceremonially unclean for 40 days if it was a boy, 80 days if it was a girl. At the end of that period, the woman is to then come to the temple and sacrifice either a lamb, or if she can't afford a lamb, two turtle doves. So that's one of the ceremonial laws. So answer this question. Is that law an application of the moral law? It's not. In fact, what does it have to do with the moral law? In a sense, everything has to do with the moral law because we live in a world created by the God who is the moral law. So in a sense, all of our life relates to it. But in a real way, that ceremonial law has nothing to do with the moral law at all. Instead, the ceremonial law has a purpose that's different altogether. In fact, they have two purposes. The purposes I'm going to call instructive and sanctifying or consecrating. Now, consecrating, sanctifying, that's, that's a biblical word that just means distinguishing, set apart, to make different, to distinguish. And so now we begin to get to really the crux of the issue. So turn over in your notes. And now let's look at these ceremonial laws because what we're driving at is when Mark says Jesus declared all foods clean, what was he setting aside? What was he nullifying? Ceremonial law. All right? That's what we're driving at. So as we think about the ceremonial laws, the ceremonial laws also themselves fall into three distinct, clearly understood, clearly defined categories. Remember how I told you for a while this would sound really technical? No way around it. But the ceremonial law also falls into three distinct categories that are very easy to see, very easy to define, impossible to mix up once you see them. Those three categories are, first of all, circumcision. Secondly, sacrifices. Thirdly, dietary. All the ceremonial laws fall into one of those three categories. They are ceremonial laws regarding the, the practice of circumcision for the Jew, or the sacrificial laws, what required a sacrifice, how the sacrifice was to be made, how the priests were to do it, what qualified, on and on. 
And then thirdly, the dietary laws, which are, which happen to be that which are up for discussion in Mark's gospel. So these three types of, of laws, these ceremonial laws that God gives, they have essentially nothing that relates them to the moral law or the application of the moral law. Take, for example, the laws regarding circumcision given to us in Genesis chapter 7, or rather given to the Jewish people in Genesis chapter 17, verses 10 and 11. Here we're clearly told the purpose of circumcision. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. And here's the purpose. Do you see the purpose? Do you see the reason that God says, here's why you circumcise your boys it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. In other words, this is a distinguishing mark. This is to set you apart from the rest of the people. This is to set you apart from the rest of the societies, the rest of the ancient cultures. You're to practice this practice of circumcision as a mark of a covenant between you and I to distinguish, or to use a biblical word, sanctify or consecrate or another biblical word that means the same thing, be holy as I am holy, to separate you, to distinguish you from the rest of the peoples of the earth. Now take a look at the sacrificial laws. The sacrificial laws would have much of the same purpose. Although we're not going to point to a specific instance in Scripture that shows us that, they are there. For example, Exodus chapter 20, right after the Ten Commandments are given, as God begins to describe some of these sacrificial laws, He begins by saying, here's how you're to offer the sacrifices. You're not to offer the sacrifices specifically, He says, like the other people do. Other ancient people would give sacrifices. God says, don't give my sacrifices like they do. Don't do it on an altar with, with hewn stones or dressed stones. Don't build an altar up. Instead, make your altar out of earth. You are to not do it, God specifically says, like the people. In other words, you're to be distinct. You're to be separate. Take a look at uh, the uh, third category, the dietary laws. Look at the dietary laws. Look at verse 26 of, of Leviticus chapter 20. You shall be holy to me, or separate or distinct. You, are, you shall be holy to me, for I the Lord am holy, and have separated you from the peoples, so that you should be mine." The purpose of the dietary laws, or at least one of the purposes of the dietary laws, was to distinguish you from other peoples. The purpose, or at least part of the purpose of the sacrificial laws, was to distinguish you from the other peoples. The purpose behind circumcision was to distinguish you from the other peoples. God was fanatical about distinguishing His people. Take a look at Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6. Therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of the pri a priests and a holy nation. Deuteronomy 14 and verse 2. You are a people holy to the Lord, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. God distinguishes His people. That's a theme that we could trace literally all through the Scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. 
too many scriptures to name. I would have ran out of time this week listing them all. We would have ran out of paper printing them all because it's a theme that's consistent from Genesis to Revelation. God delights in distinguishing His people from not His people. So the, the ceremonial laws, at one of the purposes, I would say the main purpose of the ceremonial laws was to distinguish His people from not His people. To make His people look different, act different from those around them in the way that they offer their sacrifices, in this odd practice of circumcision, in this, uh, these odd dietary laws. Why would God therefore tell His people You're to eat in funny ways. You're to do this thing to your baby boys. And you're to do your sacrifices in this peculiar way. Why would God tell them that? Because when Messiah would come, we needed to know how to recognize Him. We needed to know. All people of all ages needed to know Messiah was coming from this group of people who are different. They eat differently. They behave differently. In fact, God says many times, for example, in Leviticus, He says, keep my statutes so that you may be different from other people. Do not marry the people of the land so that you may be different from other people. Keep the Sabbath holy and honor the Sabbath so that you may be different from the other people. Again and again and again we see that. But specifically in the ceremonial laws, God says there are these distinct practices that have no direct correlation to the moral law. Instead, you are to keep these practices to make you different and distinguishable because when Messiah comes, all people need to recognize that's who He came from.